We are going to fly through four chapters. Uh, so this will not be word by word and verse by verse, but we're going to uh, kind of summarize some thoughts um, as we look at the life of Saul. I'm so grateful uh, for Corey who preached two weeks ago and uh, showed us some principles from the life of Saul who was called to be the first legitimate king of Israel. God chose Saul who was an unlikely uh, character from his um, from the standpoint of his heritage, he was part of Benjamin, a small tribe in Israel. But Saul was a guy who stood head and shoulders above the rest. He looked like a king. Uh, but he had some character flaws. He was, he was scared. He was hiding out. But God chose to use Saul in spite of his weaknesses, which is good news for all of us, right? God uses unlikely characters. And he used Saul even, as we're going to see this morning, even when Saul was fighting against God through disobedience and rebellion, God continued to use Saul. And I'm grateful for Corey, and I'm grateful for all our pastoral team and the way they serve. Um, and so grateful for that. And then last week, I was so encouraged by our students, our middle and high school students who led us in worship and, and shared what God has been doing in their life. And church, I... I that's a priority for us here. It's a priority for us to, for our students to feel empowered to know that, that God uh, not only can use them, but will use them and is using them. I, I pray that he used them last week to be an encouragement to you. And then VBS coming up this week, we are excited about all that God is doing in the lives of our young people. So today we're going to look at 1 Samuel uh, a little bit of chapter 12, I'll kind of give you the summary, 13, 14, and we're going to end in chapter 15, but I want to read one verse as uh, kind of the key text of this passage. It, it really gives us this kind of important warning from the life of Saul, and, it, and all of chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15 takes us to this moment um, where God, through the prophet Samuel, reproves Saul for his disobedience. So let me read for you 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Then Samuel said to Saul, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. I want to read it one more time. Samuel speaking to Saul says, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. Lord, use your word this morning to encourage, to challenge, to convict Lord, I, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this interaction between Samuel the prophet and Saul the king takes place at the end of chapter 15 where Saul disobeys God's direct command. But we're gonna see that there was a, a kind of series of things that led up to this moment where Saul rejected God. 
Samuel the prophet gives a solemn warning to the nation of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 12. So if you remember the story, um, Samuel is kind of leading the nation of Israel as the judge of Israel. And they say, Samuel, you're getting old. We don't like your sons. We need a king so we can be like everybody else. And Samuel says, guys, this is not good. God is the king. They said, no, no, no. We want a king that we can see that will go before us, that will fight our battles. And Samuel warns them with the warning that God gave him, the king that you chose, you are going to come to regret. But you'll get what you asked for. And so they get a king. Samuel uh, is directed by God to choose this young man, Saul. And, and Corey told us the story of these signs that led to Saul's coronation. And then Saul, uh, God used Saul to rally the people of Israel to go fight against an enemy that had attacked this city called Jabesh Gilead. And Saul has a great victory, and all the people say, yeah, this is, let him be our king. That happened in 1 Samuel chapter 11. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Samuel comes to Israel, and he says, all right, guys, I was your prophet. I was your judge for a long time. And I just want to be clear. Did I ask, did I take a bribe from anybody? Did I pervert justice in any way? Did I ever do anything that was unjust or corrupt in my time of ruling. And all the people say, no, Samuel, you were a great judge. We're so grateful for you. He goes, okay, just wanted to clarify that. Now I've got to tell you something. You messed up. <laughs> you asked for a king. You went around God's plan for you. And God is giving you what you want, but you messed up. But don't worry, God is not going to abandon you. You can read all of this in 1 Samuel chapter 12, by the way. 1 Samuel 12, starting in verse 20, I'll, I'll just give you the crux of the matter here. Samuel replied in 1 Samuel 12, verse 20, don't be afraid. Even, you, even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They're worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people. Why? Because of his great name and because he is determined to make you his own people. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things that he has done for you. Now listen to the warning. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. If you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Samuel comes in and he says, okay guys, you messed up, but you, you have another chance because God loves you. Because of his great name, because he has chosen you as his people, he, he will not forsake you. But stop following worthless idols. They're worthless. And don't turn away into rebellion. Otherwise, you and this king that you have chosen will be swept away. Samuel gives this solemn warning to the nation of Israel. I... I think of many times in my life where I have been warned by my parents, by my teachers, by my wife, 
by highway patrol officers parked on the highway, and I didn't listen, I didn't take the warning, and sometimes they said it and sometimes they didn't, but the line goes something like this, I told you so, right? Does anybody, has anybody ever experienced those I told you so moments, right? Maybe you're sitting next to the, I, the, the best I told you so you've ever experienced in your life. The person who delivers that line to you, I don't mean that it was a I told you, anyway. I said that and then I thought that didn't come out right. Um, Samuel, he warns the nation of Israel. He says, look, don't turn away from the Lord. Otherwise, you and your king will be swept away. Like, there wasn't any wiggle room. He said, you've blown it a lot. (laughs) And God has been faithful because he will be faithful to his name. But stop it. He gives them this solemn warning. And God has warned us over and over through his word. Look, this is God's word to you. This is God's perfect, inerrant, infallible, sufficient word. It's full of truth. It's full of warning. It's full of admonition. It's full of promises. It's for you. It doesn't change. And yet, we struggle. As we're going to see Saul, who struggled. And so, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel gives a final warning. He goes, okay, guys. Look, don't turn away from the Lord. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1, it tells us that Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years over Israel. So now we're jumping ahead in the story. It's been 30 years since Samuel gave his solemn warning. Saul has ruled for 30 years. He has a son named Jonathan who has become a a leader uh, of Israel of armies for the nation of Israel. And chapter 13 continues to tell us that Saul has got about 3,000 men in his standing army, and 2,000 of them are with him, and 1,000 of them are with his son, Jonathan, who is a commander over 1,000 men. And at this time also, the Philistines, who are a people group that live on the coast, Um, they are continuing to be a plague for Egypt. I've got a map here I want to show you uh, that will kind of give you an idea. So this city right here, Jabesh Gilead, this is the place where Saul had his great victory, where Saul established himself as king, and it's on the, the eastern side of the Jordan River. And that's where Israel really had its, its strongest hold. And these red cities, Gaza and Ashkelon and Ashad, Ashad and Gath, these were the cities of the Philistines. It was their chief capital cities, and they were powerful. They were seafaring people. They were traders and merchants, and they were incredibly wealthy. And, and they kind of had control of this area here to the west of the Jordan. Here's the city Jerusalem that will come to be an important city, but at this time it's controlled by a people group called the Jebusites. But these cities, Gibeah and Geba, Gilgal, these are some cities of Israel. Gibeah is, the, is one of the main cities of the tribe of Benjamin. That's Saul's people. And then this place called Michmash is kind of a, a pass up in the mountains. And so chapter 13 tells us that Saul has about 2,000 soldiers up here in Michmash, kind of in the, in the mountains. Um, and Jonathan has about 1,000 people here near Gibeah. But it also tells us that the Philistines have a garrison of soldiers in Gibeah. 
they've kind of occupied this land. They, they don't, they, it's not their cities, but they have their armies there to occupy it, to let Israel know who's really in charge. Later in chapter uh, 13, it tells us that Israel doesn't even have weapons because the Philistines won't let them have weapons. They don't even let them have blacksmiths who could make weapons. So when the Israelites need to get their, um, their plowing and their farming tools sharpened, they have to go to the Philistines to, to put points on their plows and on their goads for uh, moving the animals along. And, and that's kind of the situation. But it tells us um, that Jonathan, Saul's son, has had enough and he attacks the garrison of the Philistine soldiers in Gibeah. And it tells us because of that, now the Israelites are a stench to the Philistines, right? They, they started something that on their own they cannot finish. They, they went up against a much larger, greater army. So Jonathan has started this fight, and it tells us that Samuel... Uh, said, okay, I need everybody to gather with me. We're gonna gather in Gilgal. We're gonna assemble the troops because we've gotta fight the Philistines now. And part of gathering the troops meant that Samuel was also to come and make a sacrifice so that they would pray for God's favor and blessing as they are going to attack the Philistines. And they had seven days to get there. But Saul decided that he couldn't wait any longer. Samuel wasn't there yet to make the sacrifice, and some of the troops were starting to desert and run away. And he said, I, I've got to make a sacrifice. Now, Saul was the king. He was not the prophet. He was not appointed by God to make sacrifices and it may seem like a trivial thing to us, but according to God's law, Saul was not allowed to make a sacrifice. And no matter, no matter what his justification, he was stepping out of God's plan and out of God's boundaries to make this sacrifice. He knew that Samuel was on the way, and Samuel wasn't late yet, but he decided, I can't wait anymore. I've got to make a sacrifice. Now, let's read 1 Samuel 13, starting in verse 10. Just as Saul finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Oh, man. He got caught red-handed. <laughs> right? I mean, he's doing the thing he's not supposed to do, and he turns around, and there's Samuel, and he goes, what are you doing here? So Saul went out to greet him, and Samuel asked, what have you done? Saul answered, when I saw the troops were deserting me, and you didn't come within the appointed days. He did come, by the way, within the appointed days. And the Philistines were gathering at Michmash. I thought, the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal, and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish you have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over the people 
because you have not done what the Lord commanded. Then Samuel went from Gilgal to Gibeah and Benjamin. Saul registered the troops who were with him, only about 600 men. Saul disobeys what he knew to be right. He knew he had no business making this sacrifice. It's hard, again, it's hard for us to understand the the depth and the severity of what Saul did here, but, but God made a clear command about who was able to make sacrifices. It was the priest, it was the Levites. And that's not who Saul was. And, and he steps in and he goes, yeah, but we're gonna lose the fight. And so I forced myself to do it. Samuel arrives on time, not, a, not according to Saul's timetable, but on time. He says, Saul, what have you done? You blew it, man. Saul disobeys, and and then he begins to make justification for his disobedience, and this happens to all of us, right? Try to make justification for our disobedience. Saul's excuses even sounded reasonable. He didn't know the whole story. And here's the thing. We live in a world where God's word is no longer the foundation. And when you're just calling your own shots, when you're just following your heart, our justifications make a lot of sense. Make sense to us, make sense to our friends. Saul begins to make these justifications. We, we wanted to win the battle, we, we wanted God's favor. We live in this Follow your heart world, right? Every, every Disney movie tells the story about a disobedient child who follows their heart and then they're the hero. <laughs> the little mermaid, her dad says, be careful, and then she goes and she talks to the sea witch and becomes a human and her dad has to sacrifice himself for her. The Lion King, the dad says, don't go to the elephant graveyard, and he goes and then his dad falls off and gets killed. Moana I am Moana. Remember that one? Her dad said, don't go on the sea. And she goes on the sea, and now she's the hero. And you may be thinking, yeah, but the rest of the story goes like this, because that's what we do. And, I mean, if we were just living in a Disney movie, do whatever you want, but we're not. (laughs) We were created by the God of the universe who declared his truth and his purposes and his will and his plan. And he gives us a solemn warning. He says, look, don't don't turn to the right or to the left. Follow me. And we say, yeah, 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 but that doesn't make sense anymore. That was written a long time ago. You know, Culture has changed. Humanity has changed. Things are not the same as they used to be. And we make justifications for our disobedience. And it's fine to make justifications when it comes to fashion choices or or career moves. But when it comes to the most important arenas of life, we say, God, I know that's what you said, but surely that's not what you meant. And I have another plan, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to go for it. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. 
we somehow think God's rules don't apply to us. And, and this is where Saul's at. And he says, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And I could name a laundry list of sins and bad choices and how we make excuses and how we try to justify. But the truth is, you're probably already thinking of it. <laughs> and so here's my question. Are there any areas of your life where you are justifying disobedience? Are there any areas in your life right now, today, where you are justifying disobedience? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your finances. And you say, yeah, I should, but, 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 but. I, I can identify those areas in my life. Saul justifies his disobedience. We live in a world that it's normal, and here's why. Let, let me jump to 1 Samuel chapter 14. It gives us a little more of this story, 1 Samuel chapter 14. I'm gonna read the first three verses so Jonathan has attacked the Philistines. Saul says, gather the army. Saul makes a sacrifice that he should not have made, disobeying God's clear command. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses one through three, it tells us that that same day, Saul's son, Jonathan, said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's go over to the Philistine garrison over on the other side. Jonathan was looking for a fight all the time. My man. However, he did not tell his father. Saul was staying under the pomegranate tree in Migron on the outskirts of Gibeah. The troops with him numbered about 600. Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, that means he was a priest, was also there. He was the son of Ahitub, the brother of Ichabod, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh, but the troops didn't know that Jonathan left. What I want you to see is verse three, this list of names, Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, the brother of Ichabod, son of Phinehas, son of Eli. Now, go back several weeks when we started our series in 1 Samuel and we learned about Eli. And Eli had two wicked sons who God judged and one of them was named Eli. And Eli had a son named Ichabod and the Name Ichabod literally means the glory of God has departed. Now, these men were disobedient. They were, they were uh, corrupt. They, they, they corrupted and perverted justice in an incredible way in Israel. They were wicked men. And God said, these men should never have a place in my house again. And yet... These are the guys that, Sam, that Saul picked to be his priests. These guys who were disobedient, who, who their whole lineage was all about disobedience, Saul said, let me get those guys to be my priests. And, and here's the point. We often allow the influence of disobedient people to make us feel good about our choices. We, we justify our disobedience and then we allow the influence of the disobedient into our lives. These are the people that Saul said, yeah, come on, my guys. Tell me how good I'm doing. These were his yes men. 
Everybody knows that phrase, right? A yes man, somebody that you put around yourself who just says, awesome job. There was a commercial, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago, I think it was like a Starbucks canned drink or something, and, and um, it was, they said, when you drink this Starbucks drink, it's like walking into a room and, you know, there's a band playing Eye of the Tiger. It's like that. That's who, uh, that's who Saul surrounded himself with. These guys who told him, oh, that Saul, good choice. I would have made that sacrifice too. I know God said don't do it, but what does he know? Yeah, Saul, hang out under this pomegranate tree. Let me get you some pomegranates. Be careful, be careful, be careful who you're listening to. And I'm not just talking about your friends. I'm talking about what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you taking in? What are you listening to? What are the voices that have an influence in your life? Be careful, be careful, be careful. Um, a few years ago, I, I sat down with a guy who was struggling in his marriage, and um, he, was, he was a guy who was trying to build his own business, and he was all about, like, the hustle culture, right? He, he was on social media a lot, and all of his memes were about, you know, hustle and take the world by storm and, you know, just leave everybody behind and, and you know, follow your heart and, like, but, like, all this, you know, macho bravado, hustle, 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 hustle. Well, the thing was, he was losing his family. And so I, I sat down with him, and we were talking a little bit, and I said, hey, all of, those, all of those people that you're looking up to, like, do they have healthy families? Because <laughs> I, I don't know if they do. Do you know anything about their families? No, but I mean, but look at what they're doing online. Look at their, look at their social media presence. He didn't really say that, but that was the implication. These people are giving me advice, but I don't know anything about their life. <laughs> Be careful whose advice you're listening to. If they don't have the same values and goals and spiritual foundation as you, then their advice is not gonna get you to where you wanna be. So just be careful what you're listening to, whose voices you're listening to. It matters. Uh, you know, the old saying, birds of a feather flock together, you remember that? When I was in high school, the, the youth pastors would always say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's all true. Who are you listening to? Saul was listening to the influence of the disobedient. I love Psalm chapter one, verse one. So clear it says, how happy is the one or blessed is the man who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. There are people in this life who are wicked, sinners, and mockers. That's just real talk. And sometimes we listen to them and that is a bad idea. And as we think about living a life of obedience, after all, what did God say? Obedience is better than sacrifice. That's what we read at the beginning. Saul lived a life of disobedience. He tried to justify his disobedience, and he surrounded himself with other disobedient people to make him feel good about his decisions. And so the question is, this morning, are there individuals in your life who help you justify your disobedience to God? 
Oh, come on, pastor. They're just my buddies. Yeah, but are they influencing disobedience in your life? Oh, we're just having a good time. Yeah, but... So, this is Saul's track record. Now we get to chapter 15. Samuel comes to Saul and he gives him a command from the Lord. 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 3, Samuel told Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people. Now, listen to the words of the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts says. I witnessed what the Amalekites did to the Israelites when they opposed them along the way as they were coming out of Egypt. Now, go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Kill men and women, infants and nursing babies, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. That is a shocking piece of scripture. It's in God's word. Samuel comes to Saul and he says, hey, Saul, God wants you to utterly wipe out this people group. Why? Because God says, I remember what they did to the Israelites. So backstory, Israel's coming out of Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness and the Amalekites see them and they go and attack and try to wipe them out. This is a story where Moses is standing on the hilltop and he's lifting his hands as Israel is fighting against the Amalekites. And as long as his hands are lifted up, they're winning. But when his hands lower, they start to lose. And so his brother and his father-in-law lift up his hands to keep his hands raised as they're fighting. But God decided then and there that he would punish the Amalekites. And now he's asked Saul to do it. But look, we read this, and this is shocking, especially in the context of the grace and mercy of God. And we go, wow, what, what is happening? I mean, this is a scripture that people point to and say, yeah, God is not good. There are authors who, who said God is, he's a homicidal maniac based on texts like this. So what do we do with this? thought about just skipping this section, but I thought that would be a really bad thing to do. There's some important truths as we think about disobedience that come from this. The first one is this. God is holy and just and righteous. And God is merciful and gracious and loving. When we think about stories like this, you know, we try to compartmentalize our lives. But God is not a pie chart. God is holy and set apart. There is no one like our God. And he is perfectly loving and perfectly just all at the same time. In fact, his justice is better because of his love, and his love is better because of his justice. Because if he wasn't a God who punished evil and sin, then he wouldn't really be loving to those who are the victims of that sin and injustice. We want justice. But we struggle with it so many times when we see it 
as stark as this on a page. This gives us a glimpse to the justice and the judgment of God, which Scripture says is coming. There will be a day. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, judgment. One day God will judge. It says that he will judge those who are righteous, who are in Christ, and, and they will go to heaven. And he will judge those who are disobedient and unrighteous, who are not in Christ, and they will be condemned to hell. What Scripture teaches, there will be a judgment. Romans chapter 2 tells us that God is, is patient, and he withholds his judgment many times. It's like some kids that I know that used to live in my house who are not my children, but... <laughs> these two girls that would always jump on their parents' bed and their mom would say, don't jump on the bed. And they would laugh. And they would say, and she would come by later and say, don't jump on the bed. And they would say, oh, mom, you're not gonna do anything about it. And then mom had to do something about it. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? I've told you and I've told you and I've told you. There will be a judgment. God has solemnly warned us as Samuel solemnly warned Israel and, and now we see this judgment meted out on the Amalekites. There are these moments where God steps into time and shows us what is coming. Noah and the flood was a picture of the final judgment that will one day come. That's a terrifying story and yet, we sell children's toys of Noah's Ark. <laughs> but the reality is God judged humanity. We see it in the story of the Amalekites. We see it when God judges Egypt as they're pursuing Israel. We see it when God judges his people, the Israelites, for their disobedience in the wilderness. God steps into time and shows us. Saul is judged because here's what happens in this story. He goes and fights the Amalekites and he wipes out all the people. Except for the king, he keeps the king as a hostage and he keeps all the best of the livestock and all of their best stuff. And Samuel comes and says, why didn't you do what God commanded? And he said, what do you mean I, I did it? He says, well, why do I hear sheep and donkeys? He said, well, you know, we kept some of the best stuff and... And Samuel said, no, God said, wipe it all out. Samuel says, yeah, but, but, but. And in this moment, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel says, look, Saul, you didn't obey God again. He is taking the kingdom from you. And it's the verses we read earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, let me read it to you again. Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft. The defiance is like wickedness and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you. 
And this story is shocking. But the truth is, we all deserve God's judgment, just like the Amalekites. We are all before a holy God declared disobedient and wicked. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 says, We were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the power, according to the ruler of the power of air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. This is the spiritual condition of humanity, disobedient, rebellious people. Deserving of judgment, Romans 5, 19 says, just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Heavy message today, I know. But here's the good news. We see these moments where God stepped into time to show us his ultimate judgment. He stepped in Noah's time to give us a glimpse of the judgment that was coming. He stepped in this story of the Amalekites to show us the judgment that was coming. God stepped into time to show us. But in the Gospels, we see God step into time through his son, Jesus Christ. To show us judgment poured out on the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 19, just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus obeyed perfectly. It's what you and I struggle to do. We try to justify our disobedience. We hang out with disobedient people to help us feel better about our decisions. We struggle to obey, but not Jesus. He obeyed perfectly. Philippians 2 verse 8 says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus obeyed the Father's will. Romans chapter 11, verses 32 through 36. It starts off, this is a, a strange statement, but it says, God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. Now this thought, God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he could have mercy on all. God, God has, through the sin of Adam, condemned us all as disobedient people. That means we're all equal. We're all equally disobedient. But why did God do that? It says so that he could have mercy on all. In other words, it's, it's not about are you more obedient than me because you're not. We're all disobedient. It's not about performance. 
we're all disobedient. And, and because of that, God shows his mercy to all. This morning, as we think about the life of Saul, he was disobedient, justified his disobedience, hung out with and let disobedient people influence him, made excuses, and we all do the same thing. This morning, if you've never come to a place where you have trusted in Jesus for justification, that is, you are disobedient before God. If God is judging without Christ, he looks at you and he says, you're disobedient. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're justified. That means we are, we are made right before God. Scripture says that Jesus, who never knew sin, became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. As we think about disobedience and God's judgment, where do you stand? Do you stand as a right before God because you've placed your faith in the obedient one, Jesus Christ, or are you trying to do it on your own? Even, even trying to obey the rules on your own, it won't work. You need Jesus. And so Romans eleven thirty two 32 through 36 ends with these words. It's an incredible declaration. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. Look, as we read this story of Saul and the Amalekites and, you know, we might go, it doesn't make sense to me. You got to be careful when you try to make God justify himself to you. <laughs> because the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgment, how untraceable his ways. Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? In other words, is there anybody in here that God owes you? Nope, there's not. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The gospel is good news for the disobedient. This morning, if you've never come to a place of faith for salvation and justification, today you can call on Jesus for salvation. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He will make you right before God. He will declare you obedient. If you've never come to that place, I just want to encourage you that there is a judgment coming. We don't like it. We don't like to talk about it, but it's real. And God is right to judge. He's right to judge. Because there is evil and wickedness in the world. We know it. We've seen it. School shootings and mass murder and, and 
abuse and exploitation and injustice. We see it. It's in the world all around us, and somebody's got to deal with it. And God did definitively on the cross of Jesus Christ once and for all. And when we put our faith in that finished work of God on the cross, we are declared righteous. We are declared obedient. We are declared children of God. Child of God in this room today, you have been declared obedient, but maybe you're living in disobedience. Maybe there's an area of your life where you are justifying your sin. God is calling you to put that down. Maybe you are allowing voices in your life that are causing you to live in disobedience to God. God is calling you to let go of those voices in your life. Not so that we can be made righteous because we're already righteous through Christ, but so that we can experience the fullness of God. So why don't you stand up with me this morning? We're going to sing the song, Lord, I need you. Lord, I come, I confess. And this morning, I want to call you to decision. If there's an area of your life where you just need to come and give it to God, I encourage you to do that. You can do that right where you're standing. You can do that by coming here to the front as a, as a visible sign of surrender and just calling out to God. Maybe you've never come to a place of salvation in your life. Today can be the day of salvation for you. I would love to pray with you. I'll be down here in the front. If you would like somebody to pray with you, um, we would love to, to pray with you and encourage you this morning. But let's, let's be obedient as God calls us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness that leads us to repentance, to obedience. Lord, remind us that obedience is better than sacrifice. And remind us that through Jesus Christ, who lived in perfect obedience, even to the obedience of death on a cross, we can experience your righteousness, your salvation. Lord, help us to respond as you call us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.